Let's bow our heads together. Well, Father, here we are. We've taken time to come apart to be with you. We ask that as we open and read and study your word, would you please, through your Holy Spirit, help us to know you for who you are. For this is the real eternal life. We ask this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, lesson, how many of you have gotten the book Finding the Father? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how many of you have read the book Finding the Father? Yeah. I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here not get the book? No? You haven't gotten one yet, Dave? Okay, well, your homework is to read the book between now and Saturday. Now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that uh, Herb has done such a marvelous job with this book, uh, helping us to understand where we are. Probably the biggest possible misunderstanding in Christendom, not just Seventh-day Adventism, but Christendom, is really knowing who God really is. And, and beginning to understand. Many, many people read the Bible for many, many different reasons. Some of them read the Bible just to prove they're right and the other guy's wrong. Some of them read the Bible because they're always trying to find something new and exciting so they can get everybody all jazzed up. You know? And, and uh, some people are really into studying, hi Mona, really into studying the Bible you know, and prophecy. But there's only one real reason to study the Bible. That is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, you can have all of the knowledge, you can have degrees as long as you're armed, you can know all about Him. That will not save you. I just want you to know that. It will not save you. Okay? There's only one thing that saves you. That's knowing Jesus Christ and the Father. That's all. Okay? And the part that amazes me is we're going to find tonight. He loves us even when we don't think he does. He loves us when we think we've got to do more to measure up. His love never changes. And that's what's so wonderful about it, once you begin to understand it. You ask people, I've asked one of them, are you going to go to heaven? You know, they say, well, I think so. Or I hope so. I'm trying. None of that has anything to do with it. When you Are you going to go to heaven? Yes. Why? Jesus said so. That's simple. Jesus says, I give you eternal life. All you got to do is accept it. Now, I know there's the other side of this coin, and me, I meet them. You know, well, yeah, but. There is no yeah, but. Well, what are you doing about the law? What are you doing about the health message? What are you doing about. You know what? The more you know Jesus, all that comes into play. Okay? But in a whole lot different way than normal. How many of you here? Ever felt like you're going through all the emotions and you're just not making it anywhere? Ever felt that way? Ever felt like, I don't even know why I go to church. I might as well just give up. I'll never make it. You know? By the way, that's the devil talking. That's not God. Okay? God is not that way. And 
we, we grow up in a society that we feel we have to earn something. But we don't. Uh, you know, I say in my seminars, and maybe some of you might remember it, in society, we learn, you know, when a baby, okay, it cries, what do we do? Stick something in its mouth, you know, right? And it shuts up, right? So it learns, if it cries, it gets a reward, right? It gets a little older and we say, listen, you know, if you go pick up your toys, I'll give you, you know, candy. Oh, this is nice. So if he goes and picks up his toys, he gets candy, see? He gets a little older and we talk him into, you know, cleaning their room. And if you do a good job, we'll give you, you know, a dollar or two dollars. Nowadays, it's probably five dollars. But if I go do my job, I get a reward. And, and it works that way all the way through. We find out we go into high school, you know, if you graduate, you're going to get a better job. So, you know, I'm going to work hard, get my you know, my certificate and I'll be able to get a better job. And then some say, well, yeah, but if you leave and go to college and work harder, you'll end up getting a better job. So if you work harder, you'll get a bigger reward. Isn't that the way our society works? Jesus came and it all wrong. Jesus came and said, I give you eternal life. Now, would you do me a favor? Act like my sister. Act like my brother. Talk like my brother. Not to get it. It's already yours. It belongs to you. Would you act like, would you look like you're a citizen of heaven? Hello? Not to get it. It's yours. But because it's yours, do me a favor. Really look like one of your father's children. That's what Jesus says to us. And you know, when you begin to understand that, all of that pressure that Satan brings to bear upon us goes away. Now, I'm gonna, you're going to find yourself not doing things you used to do. Not because you think you're earning heaven. It's just you find out, hey, Jesus ain't going with me, and if he ain't going, I'm not going. You know? Does that make sense? And, and the more you develop this relationship, the more it becomes a one-on-one -on -one thing, and you're not earning nothing. It's yours. And that's the hard part that most people don't understand. In our Christian society, you know, we teach, and, and, it's, and it's wrong in teaching it. We teach that God is love. Isn't that right? Now, is that wrong to teach God is love? No, if it's done correctly. But if it's done incorrectly, which, by the way, for the most part it is, then in reality, we create a monster. Have you ever thought of that? You ask Christians, now most of you here have read the book will probably answer different than most of Is God in control? Hello? I respectfully disagree with you. Okay? We think about this. If God is really a God of love, and God is really in control. He said he's only son to save us. All those are true statements. Okay? But what do most people in Christendom believe? Jesus is the loving one. Okay? And God the Father is a control freak that's sitting up there waiting for you to step out of line so we can get you. Isn't that what Christianity teaches? 
we wonder why so many of our young people today go out of the church, and not just Adventist church, folks. I don't care. You name the church. Why are they going out? Because the young people say, if that's the kind of God you serve, I don't want anything to do with him. And so they're just turning their back on religion completely. And we've done it to ourselves. Culturally, as Christians, we have ruined our young people. Now, not all of them, of course, but many of them. And we've done it ourselves. And many of us have done it because we were raised in that culture. You know, I can remember back when I was going to the academy, and one day we were playing baseball, and I told Ronnie Moon, I said, come on, Ronnie, French kissed that ball. <laughs> I got called off the field into the Bible teacher's office to have an explanation of why we don't talk like that. And they said, what's wrong? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, I can remember it. Some of y'all can remember. Do you remember girls when you had to come to the academy? And if you knelt down and your dress didn't get the deal, you were out of here. Remember that? I remember when V-cut shirts came out. I don't know if none of you are probably old enough to remember that one. But I wore one to school. And Elder Baden told me, you either tuck it in or go home. You know? And if I ever met that old lady white, I'd have knocked her on her teaster. I swear to you I would have. But why? Because the way they used her. I've discovered something. She wasn't anything like what most people present her to be. Nothing like it. But this is the purpose. And we got to a point that we stabbed ourselves in the foot. And we made it bad, folks. And many of us are still carrying the scar tissue to this very day. And our young people have reached the point, a lot of them, hasta luego, catch you later. And we wonder why. What are we doing wrong? All right, listen, folks, our young people are not stupid, okay? They know. Did you have to tell them if you listen to that kind of music, you're going to end up going to hell? You're not going to go to heaven if you're listening to that kind of stuff. That's devil's music. Anybody here ever heard any of that before? I am. You know, C.D. Brooks tells the story. You know, he came home and his son had brought home an album. You know, uh, when Earth, Wind, and Fire. And C.D. said, "Son, you know we don't listen to that stuff around here." He said, "But Dad did it." He said, "Son, I'm going to tell you what." You either take that back like the wind, or it's going to be in the fight. Do you understand? Now, what part of that decision did the young man have to make? Now, C.D. tells it later and said, you know, I didn't handle it properly. But folks, we've handled things so much this way that we and ourselves, even when we're alone, we do the very same thing to ourselves. And we think the very same way. And all it does is completely destroy the image that we should have of God the Father. And the image of Jesus. And when we begin to understand this, the pressure goes away. Somebody says, you know, are you going to go to heaven? You can look them straight in the eye and say, yes. Oh, you think you're that good? No, but Jesus is. Okay? What do you mean Jesus is? 
Jesus said it was mine. He said he's coming back to get me. Hello? Well, yeah, but I know you. And so when we look at this, people ask the question, you know, it brings it up. If God loves me so much, why do you allow blank whatever to happen to me? Maybe some of you have asked that question yourself. How did a God of love do that? You know, we think, why did he allow me to be molested? Never once did he ever, you know, intervene or answer my prayers to make it stop. You ever thought about that? You know, many people have. Many people struggle with it. You know, a Sunday school teacher one day, a young lady come up to him and said, why doesn't God answer prayer? Now, they should have inquired before he answered but the answer was, well, you have to be specific. Okay? So the little girl went home that night. She gave God specific directions to the house. She then gave him specific directions how to come in the front door, how to come down the hall, and which door would be hers, and what her father and brothers would be doing to her at the time. It never stopped until she left home when she was 13 years of age. And you tell this young girl, and listen, I've heard pastors say it, and I tell you, it makes me cringe. Well, you don't understand right now, but everything works for good. One of these days, you know, you'll understand it, and God will explain it to you. You realize what you're saying? You're saying God orchestrated evil so that he can make good come out of it. What kind of a monster do you think God is? You know? But yet it happens. Uh, you know, Herb tells a story. I think it's in the book, but I've heard him tell it personally. He was in a meeting one day talking about God as love. Lady got up in the back, walked right up in front of him, and took, his, took her finger right. She said, don't you dare tell me God is a God of love. Why in the world did my pastor father molest me for over 10 years? How do you answer that kind of a question? If God's in the control, how do you control that? How does that work out? Explain it to me so I understand it. It's hard to understand, folks. It really is. And yet, we, if we truly understand, if God loves me so much, why did he allow me to get raped when I was 15 years of age? These are real questions, folks. You know, these are questions a lot of preachers won't even begin to touch on the ten foot pole. You know why? Most of them can't answer it. They just can't answer it. And as a result of that, they ignore it. Or they come up with some, you know, canned answer that they've been told. Don't worry about it. This will all work out for the good. You just trust God and hang in there. You really think that made the woman feel better? Hello? Huh? I mean, what is wrong with us? We as people need to have answers for everyday people we meet. There are people out there that are hurting with this kind of thing. And, and we are his representative. You know, we need to be able to explain about God. And if we have a correct understanding, then we can help them better to understand Am I making it plain when we're thinking about this? Think about if he loves me so much and he is in complete control, why does he stop some things and allow others to happen 
And don't tell me it was for my own good and I'll understand. You ever thought that? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Have you ever thought that? Anything ever happened in your life that you've said this kind of thing? You know? And somebody told you, yeah, God's in control. But in reality, folks, the very question is based on an unbiblical, yet culturally correct statement. What is it? If God wanted to prevent something, he could have. But since he didn't, he must have wanted it to have. And culturally within Christendom, that's the answer. Now you know why so many of our young people are gone? Do you know why we have a growing atheistic people in the United States? We are not one nation under God and a Christian nation. I don't care what our dollar will. The majority of people in the United States are not Christian. They do not believe in God because the kind of God you Christians believe in is nothing but a control freak and I don't want anything to do with it. Just think about it. You know you can testify in your own life over the years what has happened and what's going on. This paradigm leads us in a way of thinking that in trials of heart, in a darkness of type of being God really is and how he feels about us, and it leads to four basic lies. One, everything happens for a divine reason. Two, evil happens for a greater good. In evil, God is up to something that is for our higher good. And of course, for the most dangerous lie, there is no such thing as evil. We talk as Adventists, and I'm, I'm glad that we have an Advent message. I'm not teaching Adventism, I'm teaching Jesus Christ. But listen, folks, we talk about why does Satan want to do away with the law? Well, we say because the law is a transcript of God's character. Are you with me? You ever heard that? Advent? Oh, you know, uh, he wants to completely destroy the Sabbath because if we're not honoring the Sabbath, we don't really remember he's the creator. I mean, I can go on and on and on for the next hour talking about these things. And, and it's a reality within our society. Okay? But think about it. Satan's actually been more successful in this category than he has those. Because even the Sunday keepers, who are Christian, by the way, alone, okay, believe the same garbage, give the same answers, and the young people in those churches are leaving just as fat as they are in ours. And we're doing it to ourselves. Isn't Satan clever? So clever to destroy who God really is. Is God really in control? You know, there's one verse that tells us everything. It's found over in Matthew chapter 6. And of course there it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now who taught us to pray this prayer? Jesus, amen? Now, thy will be done on where it is done. So where isn't it being done? 
Hello? <laughs> now, is God in ultimate control from the standpoint eventually evil will be wiped out? Yes, we know that. Okay, we know that. God wins in the end. But in the meantime, folks, God is not in control on this earth. I've had some Christians, I mean, get scared to death over this one. What do you mean God isn't in control? And I said, you know the part that scares me? And they say, what? I said, we got close to 7 billion people on the face of this earth, and every one of them are in control. That scares me. I don't know about you. I wouldn't be so bad if one guy had control. You might be able to influence them. You know? But when you figure 7 billion are in control, ooh, man, that's scary. But that's really what's happening. If we truly understand God's love, I love Herb's words here, other-centeredness. Okay? I mean, does the wife do this for me, and she does she do that for me, and, and, and my husband wants to you know. We measure stuff like that. love is under other-centeredness. Does that make sense to you? Okay? In other words, the other person is always the one that's important, not you. And so God, as a result, is other-centeredness. We have the right to truth. Does God want us to make certain choices? Well, of course. You can't read the Bible and not know that. Two options, A or B. That's really what it comes down to. There's only two. I know Satan likes to come up with about ten others, but there's only really two, A and B. Suppose now, just suppose for a minute, I told her when to get up, what clothes to wear? <laughs> what to cook for breakfast? How to clean the house? I even scheduled her potty break. Would you say I was the most loving husband in the world? You wouldn't think I was a loving husband? No, you'd think I was a control freak. We put God in the same position. Are you with me? Suppose I had the ability to make a computer chip. I could stick it behind any woman's ear. Does she really love me? She made the computer chip. So who's really controlling? She loves me because I made her. Does that make sense? You understand if we put this in God's shape, what's happened? God made it, but it, we got a little chip in us, and, and we have to love it. You, you begin to see how far out this is when you really start to think about it? Okay? God is not that way. And this is the part that makes it so hard for many people. Listen, it's either freedom or control, one or the other. You understand? Either you actually have a choice or you don't. How many of you believe that anybody that goes into the hell fire, God still loves the same as he did from the very beginning? His love never changes. That's why the Bible says, for God, it's a strange act. Okay? His strange work, because God is a God of love. He's a creator. He's not a destroyer. And this makes a whole different program when we begin to understand what God is talking about. But it's so hard for us. You know, we sit back and we easily judge one another as well as judging other people. But I got news for you. Sin, sin. You know, whether you break the least commandment 
I know, what commandment's the least one? I guess the one you don't think counts for much. But if you've broken the least of them, we've broken them. In God's eyes, sin is sin. What are you going to do when you get to heaven and Adolf Hitler is your neighbor? Hmm? You're going to say, wait a minute, God, now hold on here. You, you made a mistake here, huh? I'm not saying that's going to happen. It probably won't. But think about it. There's going to be three surprises when we get to hell. First surprise is you're there. Second surprise, the one you talked about, you knew wasn't going to be there, they're there too. And the one you positively knew was going to be, isn't. Why? God loves everybody equally all the time. I don't care what they're doing. God doesn't have to like what they're doing. God doesn't have to like what they're saying. But God loves them exactly the same. Are there atrocities? We're in a war, folks. I don't know how many guys in this room, now I have to say ladies too, have actually ever been to a war. And how many here were in Vietnam? In war, there are casualties of people that did nothing wrong. Did they deserve what happened? No, they did not. Okay? They just happened to be maybe in the wrong place at the right time. We are in a real war between God and Satan. We don't see sometimes Satan, we see his representative, and sometimes we see God's representative. But folks, it's a war. And I got, have you ever heard of all fair and love and war? Isn't that amazing that we even come up with such a thing? All fair and love and war. But listen, Satan don't care how he wins. I mean, if he can win by having some atrocity happen to it, which leads mother and father to completely go their opposite way and go off their deep end and everything else, you know, Satan really didn't care anything about the child. He was trying to get the parents. And you know, in most cases, he wins. He don't care how he wins. Is there a victim? You bet. It's the child. What did the child do to deserve it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Innocent victim. I hope I'm making this plain for you tonight. This is a vital subject this week. We're, you know, we're only going to spend six nights together. You know, but I'm going to tell you something. If you can get this one through your brain. It will make your life so much better, you won't be able to believe it. You can go to sleep while the world's going to hell in a handbasket and actually sleep. Okay? Because you'll begin to know who God really is. And that's so important. And if you didn't get the book, Finding the Father, we want to make sure you get it and read it this week, okay? But let me tell you, once you start reading, you're probably going to be able to put it down. All the tragedies that happen can fit into one of three categories. The first one, things God can prevent and does. Two, things God can prevent but doesn't. But now these are basically minor type tragedies that build character. You know, gold tried in the fire. You know what I'm talking about? But now... There are other atrocities that it would be blasphemous 
to put into the first two. So there has to be a third category that, number one, does not slander God's praise by even hinting. What's the third one? Things God wants to prevent, but can't because he has given freedom. Freedom for the child molester. Do I think God goes and sends angels and stuff trying to be able to persuade this person not to do these things, to be able to change their mind, to get them to go in a different direction? Yes. Does that person still have the choice to move forward? Yes. And we have a child that's a victim. Please don't try to explain to that child how God worked this out for their better good because you're a liar. Who is it that did these things? You remember Jesus talked about the sower? Remember that? And somebody came along and sowed weeds? Remember that? And of course the church member said, well let us go out and help pull up the weeds. I, I find many people thinking weeding is their gift. Jesus said, the sower of the bad seed, okay, is an enemy of God. Who is it that's doing these things? God's enemy. Why is he doing it? Because he doesn't care how he wins. He'll destroy a child's life. He'll destroy a woman's life. He'll destroy a man's life. And if you think he's going to play fair, you believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. He just wants to win. And what does he win? One more person to share his faith. Well, you know, parents, why? He and I stopped with our friends of ours down in, the, in Petaluma, and we were talking, and Renee had five sons, lost two of them. To automobile accidents. Not, not. They were driving. They were kids. Got kids. It almost drove her crazy. Why did God do this? Why? What's the purpose behind it? God didn't do it. What did God want? He wanted Renee. But thank God, her faith, okay, saw her through, and she realized God didn't do it. God didn't do it. But now she says, one of these days I'm going to have my voice back. That's the part that gives us peace of mind. That's the part that helps us go through the day. That's the part that can give us hope when the whole world's going to hell. And we need to know this is what God is like. As we look at this, one lady made a comment. She says, why in the world doesn't God just prevent Child molestation. Good question. How many of you agree with that? You know? Of course, we can also say, well, why doesn't he just prevent all rapes, murders, and robberies, right? Huh? Wouldn't that be a good thing? You know, when we stop and think about how far you want to go, God should just prevent all sin, shouldn't he? One of these days he's going to. But what's the problem, folks? There is a very, very delicate line between control and freedom. Follow me. I am the truth. I'm going to lead you to heaven. Honest, every, every direction I lead you is going to be going to heaven. I'm your best friend. Just invite me to be with you. 
and I will be. And that felt so good. You know, when you begin to know him like you should know him, things change. And you know what's going to surprise you the most? You changed and didn't know it. I mean, you know, a couple of times, situations, and I dawns on me, I didn't say what I normally say. If you've seen me, they've seen the Father, Jesus said. Why do you ask such a question? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did Jesus come to do? Show us the Father. That's what he came for. That was his whole purpose. I know many people think Jesus came to die on the cross. Huh-uh. You go into a whole village, was a single, solitary, sick person, lame person. Now, there was only one exception. Found over in Matthew 13. Where was that? In his hometown. He could go into a Samaritan village. They accept him as the son of God. A woman runs and says, you've got to come and see this guy. told me everything. And, and, and he told me the truth. And you've got to come and see. So they came and listened and says, we believe not because you said so, but because we heard. Not a sick person in the entire place. Jesus walked through. Isn't that amazing? Yet in his hometown, It is the Father living in me who is doing the work. The Son can do nothing of Himself. Have you ever, guys, ever let that verse sink in? How much can we do? Nothing. Do we have anything in common with Jesus? Yes. But what did Jesus say? I can do nothing of myself unless it is something I see the Father doing. For whatsoever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So what does Jesus say? I can do nothing, but I can do all things through my Father. And Jesus tells us, you can't do anything, but you can do all things through me. Hello? I know that's too simple. But it's the truth, folks. Jesus came to show us the Father and what he was really like. God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus came. What did the Father say? I love you so much. I've sent my only Son. That if you'll just believe in me, just do what? Keep all ten commandments. Don't eat cheese. Make sure your skirt's long enough. Too much makeup. Is that what he said? If you but believe, you will never perish. Listen, I'll tell you the one work you have to do. Every morning. Tell God thank you for giving you another day. Ask him please to take you again today. To be wholly given. And say, God... Please, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, you promised me. You began the work in me. You promised me you'll finish it. Please keep your promise for me. Hello. You want a daily work? There it is. Give you one more. Read your Bible and know God's yeah. name. I didn't say read your Bible so you can prove everybody on the block that you're a good seven day Adventist and they're wrong. 
Okay? Read your Bible to know God better. That's the purpose of Bible study. The Bible says no one has seen God but the only begotten, who is the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. You want to know what God the Father's like? Look at Jesus. I don't know how many of you remember, you know, we're talking about the concepts of Christ. This is what it's all about. And I've heard Christians say, oh, I, I know about the concepts of Christ. And, you know, here it is, Jack, 10 minutes to 8, and you bring this subject up, you're going to have to talk for another two hours to be able to explain this one to us, you know? <laughs> concepts of Christ are so complicated. I don't think so. I think the concepts of Christ can be summed up in a song. Hello? You know, some people say, I bet I know what song that is. You know, that's one of them songs only the best voices can sing. You know, only the most talented musicians can play. You know, the song you kind of go, I come before the throne of grace and throw myself upon my I know that I am but a worm. So step on me, God likes me, squirm. Whether we want to admit it or not, we can sit here and laugh about it. Many people, that's the feeling they have about God. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Yes, I'm weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's a song I pick to explain the concepts of Christ. If you but believe, you will not perish. Will you change? Yes. Because you're trying hard? No. Because you're just getting out of the way and letting him do it. He promised he would allow him to. Most of the time when you're trying, all you're doing is being a hindrance anyway to yourself and others around you. You know, you've met some of these people. You just want to be around them all the time. You know, I will do all I can to get you to choose option A. And I will prevent when I can, God said. But even if you choose option B, I'll still love you. I'll still want you to choose option A. I want you to be my son or daughter. But I will not force you to take away your freedom. It's up to you. Not earned it. Chose. Live with me. That's what it's all about. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Please, Father, help us to know you better. Help us to know that you are the kind of Father that we can call Daddy. The kind of father we can crawl up in your lap, that you hold us in your arms and comfort us. And you'll tell us how much you love us. And you tell us how much you want to be with us and to share with us forever. Help us to know you like this, Father. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.